Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Talk to me. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey there, how are you? It's Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 394. It is the most talked about horror film of the summer. Talk to me from A24. It's in theaters everywhere this week on the 28th, the time of release. You are joined by its astoundingly talented creators, Danny and Michael Philippou. Hear about their extraordinarily humble journey from running one of the most notorious YouTube channels in history, Raka Raka, to their debut feature-length horror film. If you are not familiar with Raka Raka, we invite you to go seek out classics like Violent Zombie Fatalities or one of our faves, Selling Riley Reed's Bathwater. You're not going to believe. You're not going to believe what you see and what they're able to pull off. Their skill of storytelling, over-the-top practical gore effects, and addictive sense of humor has been on display for years. It is no wonder you are seeing the love for Talk To Me all over the film and horror community. It is intelligent, deeply disturbing, and astonishingly creative. You are going to fall in love with these dudes and their story, and it's only going to make you more excited for what's to come next from these two, because we get a feeling things are just getting started. The Boo Crew Podcast, episode 394, with Danny and Michael Phillips is now slaying. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. All right, joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio are two of the most inventive and inspired content creators in the world. Their fearless adventures and pushing the limits made their YouTube channel notorious, combining wild comedy, brilliantly choreographed stunt antics, gore, and action, amassing around 2 billion views and counting. Variety Magazine put them on their fame changers list in 2016. They made Australian financial reviews cultural power list and are multi-award winners from Best International YouTube Channel to Streamies to Best Overall at the Online Video Awards and many more. Their delicious sense of humor and a remarkable drive to innovate in order to make the impossible a reality for themselves and now upwards of 7 million subscribers is astonishing and fun as hell. Their debut feature film had its world premiere at Sundance where it blew the roof off. It became a top 
Rock of the Festival. Its refreshing approach, terrifying effects, and relentless cruelty crawled into the minds of not only countless vloggers, reviewers, and press, but of the prestigious A24, who immediately scooped it up to become part of its family of groundbreaking and thrilling stories. So it follows a group of friends who party by holding viral seances with an embalmed hand. It is called Talk to Me. It's in theaters everywhere. July 28th, we are honored to welcome the filmmakers behind it all, Danny and Michael Philippou. Woo. Yeah. Sorry, my microphone was muted. Did you say something? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so sick! That is awesome. Yeah, we, I, we I've, have, yeah, I've got a confession to make. I am the biggest fan of this podcast. What are you talking about, dude? It's no so way. weird to see your faces because I've he- heard your voices so much. Really? Yeah, no yeah. Way. Welcome to another Boo Crew autopsy. Like I'm. Oh, oh. You got you guys. You guys are withholding. I had no idea. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy Daddy shit! Was, Daddy was saying he's like when he does the the intro, he says his cool intros. Let's uh. Be silent. That's amazing, man. Well, it, it is such an honor to have you guys. And we saw the movie at a screening like just what two weeks ago, I think, yeah. right? It blew our fucking minds. Oh my gosh. Man. And and we see a lot of shit, obviously. And I know you guys do too, but it affected us in in ways that a movie has not done. And I'm not just blowing smoke, like in a long, long time. Congratulations, guys. Oh my god, yeah, yeah thank, thank you so much. much. Yeah. yeah, we're so we're so happy with how everything turned out. And uh yeah, it's yeah, the whole the whole ride's been yeah, crazy. It, yeah. It, it was like uh we didn't know what the reaction would be with the movie at all, like yeah. pre Sundance, pre anything. And it was like, if the movie sucks, it's like, we have nothing to like say. There was no excuse because right. it was exactly how he wanted it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it was, it's good that uh, it's been received well, you know? Because oh we, no <laughs> we had no idea. I think like it's, it's so good that I think the mark that it's going to leave uh, on the genre is a really indelible one. So it's, it's really, really exciting as a horror fan. And anyone listening who hasn't had the opportunity to catch an early screening or see it at a festival showing, I mean, I, I, we can't say it. More than you're in for an extremely amazing treat that that is really good. It's going to become one of your favorites. I, I it, guarantee, it almost is guaranteed, guaranteed one of my yeah. favorites. Oh, like yeah, I yeah. can't wait to see it again. Yeah. Oh, oh guys. All right. Oh, well, gosh. Oh. well, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get into it kind of as we always do, and and start off with the first memory that pops into each of your heads of a horror film that gave you that journey when you saw it. We could start with uh, Danny. Want to go first? You know, the first thing that really scared the shit out of me was. It was a scene from Alien 3. And I remember I wasn't allowed to watch it, but I snuck in and I was watching it from the back. And it was like someone with glasses was getting overtaken by the alien. The alien itself never scared me, but like him taking over this guy and the way he looked and the makeup on him. I remember that scared the shit out of me. And I would have been like probably six or seven, I'd say. So I was super, super young. And that, yeah, that always marked me for a bit. <laughs> Dude, nicely done. How about you, man? Uh, so my first of like... a. I'd say film or like because there was one that was a book. Okay, that yeah, I read. book counts for so sure. I was I was like eight, seven or eight years old, and there was this book in this like it was in like a, in like a you know elementary school library, and it's about this guy that has there's this like an old guy that's like dying, and someone who wants to take over his will. So oh, wow. and he's like his caregiver, and he kills him, and then he buries him under the floorboards. And the police come and he's like, oh, it's easy. I'll just, you know, because no one's going to know that I killed him. Yeah. And I'll get his fortune. And then he starts hearing a ringing in his ear and he starts to like talk louder and then the ringing won't stop and it becomes unbearable. And then he peels up the, st- the floorboard and says, I killed him. I killed him. And the ringing stops, you know, when he confesses. Dude. And that scared the living shit out of me when I was a kid. Because just the idea of something that you can't stop. 
in your head, yeah. you know? That yeah. was scary to me. And then a film experience was... 2003's oh, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Got a, a, the biggest shout oh, out, yeah, <laughs> man, yeah, Jessica Biel and the crew. Yeah, because like we, um, our dad's friend Jenny used to take us to all the films that we weren't allowed to go see. So she'd uh, take us to in watch theater. Yeah, in, yeah. in Adelaide, in Australia, they've got MA15 plus, meaning you can watch these movies if you're with a guardian that's over 18. So like you could be eight and get yeah. taken into these cinemas and stuff. So yeah, we were around 10 and she started taking us to all the MA15 plus movies. And yeah, Michael got really scared of Texas Chainsaw. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Coward. Dude, what, what in particular scared you about that one? So, just like when it's like inspired by a true story and it that shows you these does it, yeah. fake <laughs> pictures. <laughs> and then there's a scene where they, they're in the house. she gets thrown down like a, you know, down into the basement. And I'm like, I think I feel sick. And then Jenny's like, you're okay. And then her friend, the girl's friend's down there with no leg and he's hanging by a meat cleaver. And she's trying to pull him off. And he's like, kill me. And she starts stabbing him. And then Leatherface comes down the stairs. And I was so scared. I just walked out of the cinema. <laughs> I just remember being embarrassed because Jenny was so cool to me. And then Michael just walked out like an, like an, like an absolute coward. <laughs> I, I, that, yeah, that, there's, I think there's one movie for everyone's childhood that scars them. That's the one that scarred me. Yeah, Just because of that scene for some reason the original texas chainsaw was was mine actually at scar me because i mean for similar reasons it felt real and also i didn't recognize any of the actors so it almost felt like a documentary so that really it really threw you in yeah, yeah. exactly and that's something that we'd always we got inspired by like we we loved at the video store you know look going in and just going off of covers of the stuff we'll never let yeah watch, yeah you know? it's the best yeah and we had a grandfather who never spoke english and we'd go get him to get us all the adult ones like the the really oh yeah screwed up looking ones yeah. and our mum would what are you getting that for and he's like hey, it's a video <laughs> <laughs> yeah we always yeah get him to let us watch south park and we'd watch south park and mom's like what are you doing he's like it's a cartoon <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was our scapegoat yeah. did, you, did you guys i mean speaking of that and liking that aesthetic did i mean the talk to me artwork is incredible did you guys have a say in what ended up being chosen as a final poster arts and all that stuff and what, what was your kind of path towards getting that designed yeah yeah we worked with our photographer matthew thorne um he was on set so that was just um we just finished shooting a possession scene and it was on the table and I'm like oh my god that's the poster and then like we just started yeah we got him to take a whole bunch of different variations of it so but uh, but that being said there's been so many different poster designs like uh, there was ones that we had and then A24 have done ones as well that that were new ones and they send through all these oh yeah and there's so many good ones I'm like can I get the ones that we don't get chosen because there's some really good ones I I bet it's so fun to have all that yeah like I want these I want to there's the Japanese one that looks so sick there's like a Japanese poster that is 10 out of 10 it's incredible oh there's this no it's my wallpaper hold on that one. Oh, that's Whoa. badass. Yeah, that's good is that? so and that's cool. That's a fan one. That's a Are fan you serious? one. Are Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. I want to get that. I want to get that frame. Pretty and I want to speak to your guy because you have all these awesome memorabilia. Yes. I want to speak yeah, to your do guy you, about doing one for the hand. Do you, does your audience know how badass your house is? Like, this is literally... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've, we've talked about it in, in little bursts, but I, no, no one's kind of experienced the whole thing but people who have come on the show. Oh, so, my God. Yeah. It's literally... I can't explain it. I'm so, I, was, I got teary-eyed looking through their collection. It's the most crazy setup I've ever seen. I love this house so much. Oh my God, uh, yeah. you guys. And, like, and your entrance to the podcast room is unreal. Uh, like yeah, you guys put so much effort into everything and then like, it was like it was like foggy in here, you know, and you have the music on. It's like, that's amazing. And we you strive to, to create the vibe, right? Open the door. You gotta, put, yeah, pull the book and open the secret passage into like, the yeah, room. Yeah, you can't even like justify it like by describing it. You have to experience it. This house is so incredible. Oh, dude, that yeah. means everything to us. But yeah, we gotta hook you up with the framework. Yeah, because 
screens. Anyone listening who doesn't know, we collect screen used movie props and we have them framed in certain ways. But there's specific framers that do good jobs at framing things without uh, jeopardizing the integrity of the item. Like they don't screw into them. Everything's done with acrylics and in very inventive ways. So, yeah, there's a certain kind of. Well, speaking of that, I mean, God, the hand, right? Uh, One of the best fucking props ever yes. oh my god yeah that, that i mean so tell us just about i mean god there's so so much we can get to before this but we're gonna jump right into it with the hand yeah. because we're here anyway um how many of them were were made six six I think six hands uh i have one a producer has one uh i had one and, and danny I, gave it away i gave it to what? sophie the main actor the main actor well, she deserves it she deserves it but danny's like we have one for you and i gave it i was like wait is that my hand <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah it's sophie she deserves one but i was She's like so oh, that was yeah there was only six it, it was so funny when we came to sundance we had like a, a bunch of them and we will hide them around the house like all the actors we all stayed in like one spot and then like yeah like one house together and we're just hiding the hand people everywhere. were hiding people's beds or like having the toilet paper hanging from it you know yeah, yeah. Oh my God. on top of statues like we'll try, where, where's the most inventive pla- place we can hide the hand I'm know? a little bit bummed out because we shot this prequel series uh, like a little online thing for the hand which shows like the, the character that opens up the film we, sh- we shot like a prequel series following oh, wow. his journey up no way the yeah yeah I don't know if we're going to release it because yeah I think uh, we yeah. are I don't know yet. I, I know. have to see we it. We got to see that. That's yeah. incredible. Well, we want it. Whether or not you're going to release it, we yeah, all want you it. You see it, yeah. Dude, that's incredible. So what was what was behind the reasoning of having six different uh, versions of the hand? Just no, in case. Uh, just, it's not different versions. It's just six replicas of the six hand. Six replicas, all made the same way. Exactly. Not one's rubber, not one's Everything's this. the same. Everything's uh, hand-drawn on there. Wow. Um, the, to, actually, sculpting the hand was very difficult because we went through, oh, God, how many different versions of it? A bunch of versions, yeah. Because we it, originally it was going to be like this, so you could grab onto it, you know, like yeah, yeah, uh, standing upright, and then nothing felt right. It was like finding that yeah, it was like dropping it down while holding it like this would just be really. I can't describe it properly. So yeah, to yeah, the we audience, really went yeah. yeah to the length. Like it only arrived at the final one on the first day of shooting, right? Yeah. Although the day we were shooting that. Oh, so on the third yeah. shoot day was when the hand was done, really? the first one, and we're like, oh. It took so long to get there, but we got there in the end. Yeah, and know? it was our, our production designer, Bethany Ryan. That's her hand. We had to sculpt it. Oh, my God. It, yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. It's we part went, of the yeah. movie forever. So what about what about all the writing? What exactly? I mean, if you see it on the poster, uh, anyone seeing it, you can kind of make out some of the things that are written on it. But what's generally kind of in there? Is there is there secrets that kind of uh, yeah, that, explain the lore of the hand? It's you, uh, yeah, a that's lot why of... I don't want to talk too much about what's <laughs> sure, going on. Sure, sure. But it's not uh, just... Stuff. Yeah. Okay. There's a deep lore that, and there's a big lore Bible. Yeah, that we, we had like a big mythology oh, Bible that we that, read out, and, and and one of the big notes because we were initially going to do talk to me with like a bigger studio, and uh, one of them they they had a lot of creative notes that were just like really like pushing us in a direction we didn't want to follow. Uh, that they were just like they really wanted to do a scene where the kids were like exploring the hand and finding out the origins and like finding out how to defeat this and the history of this and like. Those parts of the films always feel so stereotypical to me, or they feel very typical and predictable. And I wanted the kids to be in over their heads. Yeah. So I was like, I'm like, I have the Bible, like I know how this thing works, and like the kids have these rough rules that they think work, you know. But they're they're literally like playing with a homemade bomb, and and like they don't really understand what it is that they're messing with. And I, I, yeah, I wanted the film to be yeah them be completely in over their heads. So like 
that was one of the notes from the studio where we decided to pull away from the studio system and try and made it independently in Australia. Wow. Yeah. So at what point during the script writing process was the hand the vessel? Was so, that one of the first things that came to mind or what? That was second draft. Wow. Because yeah, it's a yeah. physical representation of the themes of connection. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it was a haunted object before that. We, yeah. it, it was all this kind of the same, but it was like, what is the actual item? We hadn't. And, and it just like it completely fit thematically and and uh yeah they, like the hands are already like a really big reoccurring motif and it was um yeah mirrors forcing all these connections with people and and um yeah and, and it just it just tied into the narrative so perfectly um there's a, there's a small scene in a hospital that's uh but based roughly on like i had this really bad car accident when i was 16 and i was in hospital and i was in my hospital bed and i physically couldn't stop shaking and they were like, like, give me jumpers. And they'd like put like heated blankets on there. They were trying to warm me up and I just could not stop shaking. And then my sister came in and she held my hand and then all the shaking stopped. And it wasn't because I was cold. It was because I was in shock. And like the, the physical touch of someone that I really loved and cared about, like brought me out of it. And so like, I just always remembered that. And like the power of someone's touch and, and their hands was always like, really powerful to me so like it was al- already in the script so much but mm-hmm. like um yeah that, well, as soon as we like knew that as soon as we started the second draft i was like yes this is perfect it was yeah you can ask your <laughs> ask the inevitable question how do we get one of the hands man oh my god yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get one of these oh things in here gosh. man oh I my would... god I, I would like to, yeah i'll grab your number actually and i'll see we'll see because uh, that there's been questions about do we make more like replicas yeah. like and sell them like through trick-or-treat studios or yeah, something like that something. whatever he wants the real hand michael no, there's been um some collectors have, have reached out it's like yeah, hey, people have reached out already yeah yeah but the thing is it's like who's going to give up one of the six sure Sure, like yeah, right? Of, it's like the rings of power, you know, Frodo, you know, there's a Frodo somewhere. There might be one lost somewhere, you know. It was so annoying. Like, when we were shooting that prequel series, we used my hand, and then we were shooting a possession scene, and then one of the actors, like, threw it, and it, like, fell out of their hand and, like, chipped on the floor. And I was like, <gasps> and I was like, no, it's chipped. And then the person that was, like, producing at the time, like, that's okay. And I was like, no, you don't understand. It means so much to me. And Danny <laughs> shut down the whole shoot. That's why the prequel never got finished. That is not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, there he is. There he is. There he is. There he is. There's a shot. <laughs> Well, well, well. Hey. <laughs> Hello, sir. Nice to meet you. How's it going, man? Leo has entered the building, everybody. He came Leo late. was late on purpose. He said he was trying to make a, a statement. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we can hear uh, the drama behind the scenes between you two, the tension. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, know all the, we know all the gossip, all the yeah. tea's been spilled. All the boo dirt. <laughs> we've, we've been talking about the hand that, that, that you see on the poster. See, Leo, Leo, now here's an interesting Leo couldn't make the screening, so only Lauren and I have seen it. So it's an oh, interesting shit. dynamic yeah. here, yeah. right? We can talk about it, but you know, yeah, only so much. About but it. we have told a man that, that he's in. Yeah, it. we're like, you missed yeah. out on a good yeah, one. Out of all the ones to miss, this is the one he misses. <laughs> if you can only imagine the movies we had to go see lately, <laughs> yeah. the one movie that I hear is fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, sick. so I guess okay. So now that you're here, Leo, we're gonna we'll go back to the to the beginning in terms of uh, I, I know you've probably been you're probably gonna be talking about this shit for for, for a long time while people while other people who don't who aren't familiar with you and I don't know how uh, people aren't familiar with you already, but rewinding back to the beginning a little bit uh, before you entered into the YouTube world and all that stuff, what was um. 
was there a particular movie or an event in your lives that made you realize we can do this we can make movies it's it's been our dream since we were nine years old at eight we're drawing movie covers at nine i found out that rl stein wrote um all the goosebump books and i was like oh my god that's so cool i was like i want to be a writer and then i I, like thought that he directed all the episodes of the tv show and then someone's like no that's the director i'm like oh my god i want to be a director uh so like ever since then i've just been we've been so obsessed from the the youngest age and one of our first things that we made from like 9 to 13 was like a uh, like a vhs series that we shot on our our dad's VHS camera called the Evil Flamingo, which is like a killer doll thing. And like, we were so young, but like doing all these effects of tomato sauce and uh, water because it was black and white, pretending it's blood. But we have uh, we have six of these movies that we made very, very young. Yeah, it's, it's like a weird obsession. Like you say the Psycho movies, because we bought like, there's like a DVD collection of Psycho, yeah. right? all yeah. of them. And how they start off black and white and then turn color. And then we used to go, okay, so the first two Evil Flamingos would be black and white. So we changed the setting so it's black and white. And the third and fourth, <laughs> you know, then we then we changed them to color. There was like a weird thing that we've always just been drawn to filmmaking and like carrying a camera and ideas. It's 24-7. It's as soon as we wake up and as soon as we go to sleep, everything is a movie scene. Everything is a moment, uh, a, a story, uh, shots, ideas for stunts and like things like that. It's just always rolling Jeez. in line to an annoying extent because you can't make it all. And some of the, they stay in your head until you make them, you know, and it's just always coming up with things. And it's like, you know, a lot of them are like pointless, but then there's the ones that like that stick that like that don't get out of your head. It's like okay, you gotta make you gotta make them right, so you can pull them out of your head. You know, sure. No, that makes sense. And how how are you learning to do all this stuff? Was it just trial and error? Was there books you're reading or certain like special features you were watching? Anything? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, obsessive special features and commentaries. But it was all just trial and error. And then wow. uh, yeah, making stuff. And we had another series that we done between thirteen and eighteen. We did ten seasons of this show. Um, and like uh, we just used to always make it for our friend's older sister Nelly, and we like premiere these episodes to her. We did eighty episodes in six movies. Or on the sixth film, and then we had to end end it. But like, you can see us progressing as filmmakers, like like uh, doing stunts for the first time, trying VFX for the first time, writing a script for the first time. You see that all uh, like unfold over the life of the series, which is really cool. Well, it, yeah, that it's just like a uh, anything. We were always trying like what makes what will make it look more like a movie. What can make uh, stuff look more like a film? And then that's when you know discover things like color. Sure. Special effects, and then we, you know, our poor dad. We got him to turn our whole green, our whole garage into a green screen. You know, <laughs> he like yeah. got this. You know, and like we had like friends, like twelve to fifteen friends around the same age, and we'd all get together every day after school and make movies or beat the shit out of each other with backyard wrestling. Those are the two <laughs> things that we did. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So, so transitioning into the into the YouTube world, and you're you're churning out these videos constant stream of, of creativity were was was each video kind of resetting the learning process and going okay this is what we want to accomplish we have no idea how to do it let's learn something new was that kind of the trajectory that, that you got yourselves into yeah it was like every, like it was like a, a, a practice ground and we just tried different things of each video like sometimes we'd be dumped into a location and we like made it up on the spot other times we're like we really want to do a sinking set. Like, how can we pull off a sinking set? Or we want to build a car that, that can drive while it's full of water. Or, um, like, uh, wire rigs that have never been designed before. Uh, or, like, a VFX. I'm trying to accomplish this VFX. How do we do that? Or this practical special effect. Like, each video, we're just practicing and sharpening our skills in all different areas. And, and, well, we, and we met a lot of people along the way, like, stunt coordinators and performers. So, um, we would work with them. Like, uh, Judd Wilder, a guy that we work with a lot, stunt coordinator, 
he'd always want to like come up with new ways to do things as well. So we, we, yeah, we'd, with him work with the riggers and create new ways of doing like wire gags that haven't been done before. And like, uh, the, the thing with the fight scenes is like, oh, how can we do it with, uh, you know, uh, new and different and fresh? And like, that was the way that we wanted to, even, even with our makeup people, uh, Beck Barato, uh, Beck Troisi, these, uh, these makeup girls that we met on like just film shoots. And, and Corey Emery. And Corey Emery that we'd work with and be like, okay, what, how can we like do like something really grotesque and like, and then come up with new blood rigs and, and things like that. Oh my God. Yeah. How yeah. can we do it as practical as possible? And their in camera effects, like that was stuff You that can we, watch our Mortal Kombat fatalities on our channel where we do like, we like practicing <laughs> a lot of like really violent uh, special effect makeup. It was just, <laughs> and because you, when you look at movies, like the ones that do practical, like say the thing, yeah. Right? That stands up more than like current horror films. For sure. Like now, yeah, two years after, it's like, look how amazing that still looks. Like, yeah. That's unreal. And that, that that stuff, like we respect, instead of just like dumping it in post, like uh, fix it in post, it's like uh, t- put the effort in it and, and try and get it in camera as close as you can. Yeah, there, there was so, yeah all of our special effects didn't talk to me were all practical. And then like we had VFX heightened things and that awesome blend between practical and VFX is obviously the best. I mean, everyone says everyone says about the thing and stuff. Like it's so obvious. Like it, it just stands up so much. And uh, yeah, there's uh, another script that I've written that there's a lot of body horror in there. And I'm like, oh my god, give oh, us yeah. a proper budget for makeup. Oh my god. Well, <laughs> oh, speaking wow. of budget, so when you were making these YouTube videos and you're doing stuff like that, that that stone where you rip someone's head into in the zombie uh, fatalities video or something like that, something that's really intense looking. Are you, before the channel was able to kind of monetize and, and give you uh, funds to pay for this stuff, were you just completely self funding out of your own pocket? How did that work? Yeah, I could never hold down a normal job. So the first job I got to buy my first camera and fund my first short film, I was like, I was a lab rat and I do uh, drug trials for like drugs that weren't on the market yet. And they'd like, they're like, oh, we don't know what the side effects are. And they'd bring in these like 18 to 22 year old males to like check in. And then they just test the drug on you and then check your blood and see what the side effects were. And so, like, that was my first job. <laughs> and Danny would write scripts in there. Like, yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah. They, they, once I went there and he was like, like she wouldn't stop shaking. I'm like, you're right. It's like, oh, it's fine. It's just a side effect of the drug. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude, that is yeah. Insane. And then, and then, our, wow. my was uh, just filming, uh, crewing on films. You know, I started off for free, just like, what can I do? I'll, I'll be work experience. I'll do whatever you guys want. Like, on, I just wanted to be around film sets, um, and I do like just films completely for free. And like, whatever someone needed, I was there. Um, and then eventually, one of the producers said you can't keep doing everything for free. I was like, it's no problem. I just want to, you know, and then she said, next one I'll, you do, uh, it will be funded. And that was the bubble Dook. And I was able to be the production runner on bubble Dook. Wow. Yeah. Lord, you hold on. There's a beeping down here. I got to address, but Lauren, uh, the bubble Dook is one of our favorites. Yeah, she's uh, Jennifer Kent. Uh, it was like the first oh director. Oh my gosh. I love Jennifer Kent. Did you yep. see the Nightingale? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, that was crazy. Intense. Oh, yeah. It's, yep. She was the first director that we worked with who really cared about what she was making. That was what we saw. Like every shot, every moment was like uh, um, she cared so much. So I was like, I knew I was like, this movie won't be bad because she actually cares from before that. It felt like a job to everyone else that I seen work, like other directors and stuff. Like, yeah, it wasn't. Really uh, it was like we we're working on movies before that. And that was the first film. Yeah, and I was like, I'd tell her as well, her and Essie, you know, even on weekends, because, you know, if you guys are out, you know, drinking or whatever, let me know. I'll, I'll come pick you up, drop you off, no matter what. Like, I'll, I just want to help any way I can. Yeah, just come to absorb help. it and be around it. Were you guys able, able to be there while they were doing sh- scenes and stuff? Yeah, too? yeah, yeah. Checking yeah. It out? Yeah. I was, oh. I was on the, I was a lighting assistant. 
Uh, pretty big deal, actually. You know, so uh, while, while, while you guys were on set, what did you guys learn? What was the big like take-home learning experience from that? Well, yeah, just the dynamics of the, the set and how the sets run, um, how different actors like react to different things, how, how a crew member feels. Like It's really pivotal to know like how a crew member's feeling, so you know like when you run your set, like the stress that's on them. And then also like what we also learned is like, who we wanted on our sets. So like we, we were like, we found people during that whole process, like even from the caterers to like unit, there were people that like we'd met that like, Oh, we've got to, let's try and get them on our film when we get it. And we keep all their contacts and then like reached out to them specifically. So like when we came time to do talk to me, it was like all these people that we know were really passionate about their jobs and what they were doing. And like, yeah. Building yeah. And it's kind of like, cause I've done work with like grips and sun guys and stuff before. And like, I, I've, I've seen like what the, the, the trouble that they go through, say the script, the grips are there second longest next to unit, you know, they're sure. doing 16, 17 hour days lugging around heavy equipment, you know? So it's like a sympathy I get with them. And like the guys that I worked with, um, I hired them, uh, yeah, for hours, you know? So that, what, that was just awesome full circle thing as well. But the main thing I learned was from that set of not, not, uh, veering from your vision. Like don't, uh, bend just because, you know, uh, you know, uh, it just you like, like don't you can like kind of sway from your vision because of course you have to like you know you gotta have to change things when you're up against the wall, mm-hmm. but don't completely switch or break your vision and, and listen to the outside voices. Right, don't compromise. Yeah, your, don't yeah. compromise. Keep keep that vision, that core vision in your head, even if people look at you like you're crazy. You know, like uh, Danny and I have made enough stuff that we're lucky. There's two of us that we both know. This, we know how it's going to be in the end. Just yeah. trust us now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's sure. hard for first-time directors and stuff outside of that to be like, they can be swayed, you know. This isn't the way you do things. Oh, yeah. That, and that, it's that, like, that, oh, yeah. it's, it's, the, well, it's the way we do things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, this won't work. That won't work. And like having the experience to say, no, it actually, it doesn't work. It will work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, working on all these videos, what do you think it was that kept propelling you even when you faced things that you didn't know how to do, whereas most people would be like, you know what, fuck it, like Figuring out how to drive an underwater car or make a short about that. It's just easier not to do it. Like, what what kept you going and, and going, you know, fuck it, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. Well, you, you were constantly achieving something and building your skill set. And it was sure. like, uh, yeah, it was something really fulfilling about achieving something that you set out to do, you know. So, like, every, even with the complete failures, like, sometimes it doesn't work, you know. Like, with the YouTube stuff, sometimes it just didn't work. And then, but the next time you go and you're going to try something similar, you can take those lessons and then make it work the second time. Yeah. You know, and, and that was the thing is like, maybe we took a long time with like actually doing a first film because we wanted it to be good. We really wanted it to be good and work not just on the, the stuff we were good at with the YouTube, with the practical effects and, and, and editing and things like that. We wanted it to be good with story and character mm. and be layered and, and, and work on, on different levels. We wanted it to work as a horror film and as a drama film. We wanted it to, uh, yeah, be able to, to blend those genres, uh, you know, seamlessly. Yeah. And, um, so the script writing and, uh, casting and things like that, that's all like real new to us. Um, but that's why we are really in depth and having amazing writers like our co-writer Bill Hinson and then I mean Michael's talking about the writing he did write a page of this film producer uh, Samantha <laughs> Jennings like those script notes and stuff that make Danny shitty writing <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah taking the time because all we've written so many scripts but that was like the first one yeah, yeah. Like, it, it was like it was like uh, every, every time like script writing was um, really freeing in a way because there was certain like I, I couldn't express express myself fully on Raka Raka because I felt a bit like box things. There was a certain 
like it was a certain sort of content for a certain audience. Mm. So I was like, I was scared to veer away from that and, and be more personal and like uh, write proper characters and story. Like I was always scared of boring or like, like, you know, alienating my audience. So like uh, what I was writing was really freeing and therapeutic to, yeah. But so like, yeah, like talk to me so personal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can, you can feel that. Like it, it, there is a version of this movie that could be a Raka Raka short. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Just, to, just <laughs> on the surface, it could be like that. What, like, was it, did you find it really difficult to get the tone right? Because as much as this film is full of chaos and gripping horror, it does. It's got a big beating heart and, and emotional meditations that you get into. Was it hard to achieve that balance and still kind of put your own stamp on it all? Well, yeah, you can talk about like Memories of Murder was such a big inspiration for us in Korean cinema. Like they're really awesome at jumping between tones. Mm. And so like I I think they have such a good balance of like super serious dark drama and comedy and like the most random spots. So like we always loved that juggling of tone. I think it's like on on set, like it was fine. I think it was like it's it's the script. It's like having a good solid script that works with script. So when you're lost in because... You know, when you rock up on set, on camera, you can put the camera anywhere. You can put the people anywhere. You know, you, and like every single frame is like it's a complete open, you know, book. Yeah. So having a strong vision before you go in is integral. And that's why even like with our cinematographer, uh, Aaron McCliskey, like finding the visual language and, and going through, you know, shot listing and stuff every day with, with him to come up with what the film is going to look like was integral. So, um it's great finding people that are awesome in their fields, like a creative and amazing, you know, workers that you can uh, collaborate with is that, that just brings a whole other level to everything. But yeah. The tone is always like, yeah, uh, life is never always one note. There's always mm-hmm. like funny things that happen on sad days and, you know, sad stuff that happens on the fun days. Like uh, we just like uh, let, let that be feel real and like letting comedy come through at like, certain times you know to like break it up a little bit yeah that's a it's got a beautiful ebb and flow to it too it's very unexpected which i fucking love the boo crew will be right back hello anybody home sally i hear something stop the texas chainsaw massacre from New Line Cinema, rated R. No one under 17 admitted without parent or guardian. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just getting into the actual writing process itself and being able to sit down and concentrate and and write a script from beginning to end. A lot of people probably stress about that listening to this right now. They have an idea. They don't know how to get it down. As far as coming up with the idea, do you like write in a linear fashion beginning to end? Do you start at the end and go backwards? What in terms of this movie? What did what was that like? Yeah. So um, initially I got given uh, a short film by uh, a guy named Daley Pearson. who had this like cool comedy horror of like these kids that are using uh, like possession as a drug. Uh, and then so he's like, do you want to do a pass of this? And would you want to direct this? And I, I really love the idea. And so I'd already been working on another project with like different characters. And I sort of implemented them into this world and like changed it to be more serious and more drama based. And then uh, once I started writing, I literally couldn't stop. And I had 80 pages within three to four days or like, uh, yeah. And then uh, like I sent them over to my co-writer, Bill Hinsman. And like, they were just like 
sporadic like thoughts characters moments scenes and they were just like really unfolded like a and then like he helped us he helped me structure it and then we like always bounce back and forth and just keep strengthening it strengthening it and then when we got our producers on board the script editors like again it was just like refining 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 and so like with any project it's always like writing the thing that is exciting me at that time like if there's an idea or like a scene where i'm like i know this scene i'll write that scene first and i I never go in with like a complete plan i like i let it unfold and just write the scenes that are like 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 in my head right now and i always go through like a weird thing where i'm like building up to writing so i I can't just sit down and write i always have to do like a week of like thinking about it listening to music getting into the headspace and I'm like, I can't write, I can't write. I keep thinking I'm walking like around the streets at night, talking to myself like a freak. And then eventually it just all explodes and comes out. And then once I start, I can't stop. As being like my process for the last couple of things I've written. Yeah, I think it's the same. Like uh, I'm writing a thing called Peach Baby right now. And it's like not worrying about structure, right? And like, you know, this has to happen at this moment, like that kind of thing, like structurally, it's just writing, like Danny said, the moments and scenes, and then you can, you can play with them later. So my advice would be to someone that's like, I can't get my idea down. Cause if it doesn't, if you're trying to think of it in terms of structurally in a film, it's like, just write the scenes that you've got. It doesn't matter. You can write the ending first, write the beginning, just write, just write it all there. And then, and then if you can find someone that does that kind of like a, a script editor or someone that can, you know, work on an outline with you, how can we, you know, beat this out, you know, write them on cards, put them on the wall and move them around. You know, it's like a, it's like a puzzle and you just got to start, you know, start doing the pieces. Even if you don't know where they fit yet, mm, it'll do, come together. Do would you say like a collaboration is the only way to write a script? Is no, it the only not way to come to it or what? I think, I think it was uh, cool for us mm. to be able to collaborate with someone. Um, but like some writers that like, that's just their entire yeah brain. It's just like uh, putting the scripts together. So I, I think that if you're really into it and you can research how like certain, it's not like you have to stick to the rules, but it's good to know the rules first before you break them, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, definitely. And like, so for us, like the structure things and like, that's not an interest really. It's like, it. you have to, I guess you have to do it in terms of like script and stuff. But for me, it's just like writing scenes because I know how scenes can play and then like working with someone who knows that stuff to fit it in that skeleton sure. is 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 the best way for, for me personally. Uh, yeah, I have, I have a better understanding of it. So we're different people. Uh, yeah, Danny has a, be- <laughs> a better understanding on, on like actual, yeah, film structure more than now, I do. Now, taking your script uh, to the next level into production yeah. To making the movie now you have to play with darkness you have to play with tension building and scares and and all these you know these things are gonna they're, they're gonna you know shape your movie and make it into a horror movie who was in your mind who were you inspired by in terms of crafting these scares and then these tension building scenes yeah I, there's like a, just a certain style that we it was like a, a compilation of everything like it like i have a certain way of shooting my racket videos that is like a compilation of different inspirations like it's never like one specific thing so i can't really point to like an exact inspiration for the film as a whole or the scares as a whole it was always like yeah that's a tough question for me my my, my thing was like the, the 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 horror films that i really love are the ones that don't rely just on jump scares to be scary it's like scenes that are just films that are just genuinely unsettling that don't outside of that yeah you know they just give you just get that uneasy feeling and you take them home too yeah take them home exactly and they stick with you you know like there's a scene from uh zodiac that really sticks with me where he goes down you know and there's there's someone walking on the on the roof above and it's like someone's here he's like no it's just us and he like goes up and he's like walking it's just like that's not a jump scare or anything it's just like an unsettling and and it's a story that leads up to that moment as well that is so scary still thinking about it (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like that. Those are the things that I respect. It's like, oh man, at that stay with you, not just ha! <laughs> right. But, yeah. but then again, that is a part of horror. So we like those tropes. Yeah, as well, I, I was never, I was never like uh, trying to veer away from any tropes of horror. Like I'm not embarrassed of it being a horror film. Like I'm so proud that we made a horror film, and it's like embracing the tropes as well and being a part of those tropes is cool and fun. Uh, but yeah, like there's just so many different inspirations from so many different spots. Wherever it's like novels or like scenes or even just. Uh, textures from a wall I usually I can write off of it's like I, if I see a texture it like I could like write a scene based off. on That's that texture so cool, yeah man. yeah well did, you mentioned music oh sorry did I cut cut you off yeah. okay sorry uh, go ahead did you guys ever write a different ending or was it always gonna end that specific way um that specific ending that's in the film now came also in the second draft and and the first draft ended the scene before that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Leo, it's too bad. You don't know what we're talking about. Uh, okay. I wanted to go back. I wanted, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to go back to the music. There's a screening tomorrow in Anaheim. If you're free. Dude, you got to go, Leo. That couldn't be farther away. <laughs> the first screening. There's a screening in Germany tomorrow. If you Germany, yes. Let's go. Concord. Let's go. I wanted to, I wanted to ask, you mentioned music um, and being inspired by different things. And you said you listen to music while walking around and coming up with ideas. There's just a brilliant scene in the movie that's completely edited to music. That is badass. What were you listening to while writing? This, this is all all Michael that sequence that montage sequence oh, like so Michael is, is like we specialize in different sides like I, I usually write and then shoot and then I do a rough cut Michael does a fine cut he does sound effects and music I'll like focus on color, color grade and VFX that was like our YouTube workloads and Michael was the same like Michael obsesses over music and beats and like so yeah he completely crafted that sequence so that's all Michael that one yeah. but with the music like so mu- I'm not uh, I've not versed musically with speaking of things technically sure. like notes and like this is an A and an E and this you know I just have things that I, that I think like sound good and I'll listen to like thousands and thousands of thousands of songs and just in production music libraries and things like that and download them and pull apart the stems and play with them um, but never like you know so when we're doing the music and I, I have a thing in my head where I know what it sounds like I, I'm like oh this note and then I'm like higher they're like an E I'm like I don't know just higher yeah dun, dun. and I'm like yeah that That's and the like, okay they're like you should uh, answer the composer said uh, you should uh I verse yourself in that stuff for the next film, which I've been doing is slowly sure. learning piano and things like that, just so I can have an understanding so I can speak it on a technical level. Got it. Because right now it's just on a feeling level, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, that, that music, that, that, that montage, montage was yeah. just like listening to songs. Like, what's the, what's the feeling we're trying to uh, uh, encapsulate? And then that one that we found, uh, it's, you know... It's a merge between old and new because that's what the kids are playing with. It's like a new way of using a very old, ancient, you know, uh, relic, you know, mm. and that's what that music is. It's a remix of Edith Piaf, you know, oh, an old, yes. yeah, an old opera singer, and like it's, uh, and, and it just shows there's a fun side and a dark side to it as well, and and there's a juxtaposition of what the kids are doing and the way they're viewing it is oh this is a fun time, but then the harsh reality of what's actually happening, you know? And there's yeah. a lot of that that's happening in there's that. There's like a fun well. fun music playing while someone's like sobbing their brains out and, and screaming in Spanish that they don't know where they are. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that polarity is awesome to play with. Is that something that would be in the script or do you conceive of that in the post-production process? Yeah, yeah so we, we have it in the script that there was going to be a bunch of possessions that happen really quickly in a montage yeah. setting, but then Michael had the music and like crafted the sequence to shoot specifically on we, set. We like he shot, knew the clats. We knew it on of, set. Yeah. Yeah, like on set, the, the music. And and that's the, the biggest lesson that's going to go into the next movie is having music, working on music, 
in pre-production. Mm. So it's not just getting slapped at the end. It's like doing it early and have that infused with the script and the story so we can go on set with that stuff. And I've been working with the composer now um, on some other stuff that we're writing. He's just doing, you know, just like theme, like music, like conceptual music, you know, and we're trying to find sounds early. That's exciting to me because it's like we, the, the, we got there in the end with Talk To Me, uh, but, but it was a struggle, you know, it was a struggle to find it. And I just couldn't, you know, with like a YouTube stuff, if something's not working, it's like, okay, uh, we'll just take it and then change it and then put it out when we're ready. We didn't have that luxury with the film. The film had to come out October 31st. Mm-hmm. That's when the screening was. And of the course. music we hadn't found. And I couldn't just say, oh, it's okay. It's like, no, this is our debut feature film. It has to be right. So it's like having those conversations of trying things over and over and over again until you find them, which we did. But the next film, we're going to have it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> What's the horror scene like in Australia? Is it big, small? The horror scene is in the film scene? Just like... Halloween, like here, oh, everybody There's like loves. a huge horror community. Yeah. Like there's a street in Burbank that's year-round horror Halloween-themed stores, for instance. There's oh haunted attractions that are open year-round, escape rooms, all that kind of stuff. So it's a real ongoing community. There's none of that in Adelaide. Wow. Oh, yeah. Where we're from. Yeah. I remember when we were kids and we were trick-or-treating and we knocked on the door once. The guy opened and he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, trick or treat. He's like, we're not an American, mate. Close the door. I was like, oh. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was sitting there with my, you know, my bag. Of- <laughs> yeah. And there was but another, you know, there was another lady that we knocked and then she opened the door and her dog was barking. She's like, do you want me to let this dog out? And I'm like, no. She's like, well, get the fuck off my lawn. I was like, all right. Oh, my oh, God. Wow. So Halloween really isn't a thing? Well, and- you know, it, it is. It kind of is. You can see who's up for it with the, um, like, who's the decorations got- yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, thing, yeah. the lights yeah. off. Never, never cool decorations in Adelaide. They're always really corny. And shit. <laughs> it's a shitty one. But it's like, if there's a decoration, you know, they're, they're down for it. If not, be careful what door you're knocking on. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, we want to be sensitive for your time. It's four. We've gone 43 minutes. We can go some more if you got time. We got time. Are you guys okay? Yeah, I mean, if I'm right. Whenever, yeah, yeah you okay, guys. Okay, cool. I wanted to just ask about kind of the the possession trope, demonology in general. Is that something that goes deep for you guys? Does it scare the shit out of you as far as the whole world of horror goes? I don't know if it scares Danny because he buys these he buys these crazy books that rock up that like possession books and occult books occult yeah. bo- like then he buys yeah. them and like they come to the house and you unwrap them there's this weird book that's got all these like crazy demons and stuff wow. in it. So, yeah, I don't know uh, that is secret saintness or something I don't know <laughs> <laughs> well did, so, did some of that lore like what, what interests you in that stuff did some of the lore make yeah, it to the movie I, I guess and- I sort of like that um there was even a, a magazine called New Dawn that I, I used to collect, which like would present all these big, crazy conspiracy theories. Yeah. Like there's UFOs in Antarctica and there's, uh, yeah, the, the moon's a UFO. They, like they always present these crazy concepts. That's by, not like, crazy. It is. But like, prof- like by professors and stuff, and they present it as real. So like, I like, uh, like a really extreme thing being presented as, as fact. Sure. Yeah. So like those books, like I don't buy them or believe them but like I, I like the idea that they're being presented as real and I like reading it as if it's real right. even though I really don't believe it um, yeah Was it, that makes sense when approaching the possession scenes did you draw from any real life stories or was it other films because what you did you gave a real interesting spin on that I'm, I'm actually wondering how much of that was the actors kind of setting the tone for that but yeah you- yeah I mean like so there's so many different inspirations for that and like o- like obviously Exorcist is the granddaddy of all possession films and like that wasn't one of those films that was like completely rooted in in drama and like those characters felt so real and nothing felt like a horror film that that always felt like so real uh, but like yeah I, like 
I think that what we did with the possessions is every single actor had to act out each other's possessions so that no one was embarrassed going in and having to do like a, there's like an embarrassing possession in the film. I like no one was embarrassed because everyone did each other's possessions and the actors were able to like watch each other's interpretations and grab little bits and pieces from oh, each. Oh, it's great. Well, we did the like, possessions yeah. as well. We made the producers do the possessions. Producers did everyone. it. We did it. Our camera person did it. Like, but, uh, but yeah. it's like, yeah, there's a lot of inspirations with the, with the possessions, but then also with the hand being like, you know, it's, a th- it's one of the, it's uses also is like the idea that it's a party drug. Yeah. The kids are using it for, and when you're drinking or if someone's doing drugs, they're not themselves. There's like a different version of themselves, you know. And if someone doesn't drink and they see someone that's drinking and drunk, they're like, that's not the person I know. That's like some monster, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that's like a, a version of that as well. So it's like, yeah, there's all different like motivations. And also, if you're doing, if you're drinking and partying or whatever to have fun, it's one thing. But if you're doing that stuff to escape something in yourself, you know, you don't want to face something, you're using it as a clutch, then you're not necessarily going to have a positive experience. Yeah. And so that's, that's when it becomes a problem too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, so that's why say- the hand is like, you're, you attract the, your, where you are mentally and like your deep, like what your, your issues are, that might be the spirit that you attract. Yeah. So like those, those spirits are drawn to different emotions that the kids are having. And yes, the hands representing that, 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 like connection, like the connections between people, like real ones and forced ones. It's like a physical representation of of that, but it's also like a representation of vices. So it was like there's so there's yeah, it just it represents uh, different things. And if we, you, oh, what were you gonna say? Sorry. If Keep you were, if you were at a party and you were offered the hand, would you accept it and let something in? Yeah, fuck yeah. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the problem with America's youth? Not, not not like say say drugs. I'm not a fan of drugs. I don't do that stuff. But like anything to do with the supernatural. I have drawn to just I'm drawn to I don't know if I believe it or not but it's something I'm always fascinated by and I always want to stay at the world's most if we're out of place we look at somewhere that's haunted nearby and visit it oh yeah if someone says this room's haunted it's like okay let me sleep in it (laughs) you know like uh, that's and speaking to psychics and and mediums and people that have had those stories I want to hear it all I want to hear their versions of things Um, Um, but but like going back to like the possession like I don't think I'd do it at a party with people I don't know I think I'd have like two or three close friends that I do it with sure so you like if some weird shit back. goes down at least they're like you know no, we know no one's gonna spread, they won't spread the video yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you guys haven't had any uh, paranormal experiences yourselves then? oh I, I mean yeah, there's, well, yeah but you know that, that's the thing that's the big question for me is and I asked her uh, this lady who was like uh, she does like spiritual like investigations sure. she goes to houses and I asked her what how much of that it could be someone's mind because your mind is so strong like you, you could if you like tell yourself you got oh, I got a pain in my elbow. You can manifest that, you know, yeah, through your thoughts. Sure. You know, so how if you go into a place and you don't know what's haunted, and you have you you might not have any experience, but if you go into a place going, oh, this place is haunted, I'm, and you have that preconception, you might open yourself up to experience those things, whether they're real or not. In your it's your perception of it, you know. So I asked her that, and she said to me. For me, she said, for me, it's I knew it was real when I'd go into a house and I'd have a feeling that a young boy, something to do with a young boy and a drowning happened here. And I didn't know anything about the house. Then later I discover 
that's what happened in this uh, house. I still, yeah. I still 100% don't buy that, though. Like, I feel like she could have made that up. She could have, but I'm saying, like, that was her thing of saying that it's- Like a very specific rude. thing yeah, that she would Yeah, a specific thing that you can't say, oh, it's just a- Yeah, you, know, you can't write it off. Yeah. Have yeah. you guys been to Zach Baggins Haunted Museum? Uh, I've heard of this place, but no, we haven't. We need to go there? <sighs> well, we I'm, too, af- I'm too fucking afraid to go we there. We should all go. Oh, man. Let's do it. Let's do a podcast, like sitting in there at 3 a.m. in the darkness. That's 3 a.m. podcast is that won't be scary at all. They had to like shut some of that down because it, what, there was a, a chair from which case was it? The, the Conjuring 3 case? Yeah, yeah, the third one, yeah. What was it? The oh. devil let me do it. Uh, the, um, it was the, wasn't it the rocking chair? Uh, the upstairs neighbor, I think. Yes. That got murdered. Yes. Yeah, he, he, he has that chair in the museum. Oh, wow. And people who were walking underneath it would like pass out. Uh, I don't know. They had different experiences and they had to shut it down. Yeah. And there was also, uh, who was it? Um... Post Malone had all these fucking yes. exp- yeah experiences. Oh yeah, he, the, the, he almost died like the, three times. Was it the Dybbuk box or yes. whatever? Oh Which, wow. yeah, see, I need, like I needed to happen to myself before I believe it. So I'm yeah. like, I'm so down to go there and do some shit with you guys. All right, I'm in. I'm in with you guys. I'm in. I'm in. So we got to address this incredible cast, right? And oh Sophie Wilde and, and Joe Bird, who play Mia and Riley, they're outstanding. And then you got freaking 13-time award-winning uh, uh, Miranda Otto from uh, Sabrina. And, uh, Lord, Lord of the, of the Rings, Rings and yeah. oh my god so tell us about casting it as far as like I want to hear about the audition that Sophie and Joe in particular had to do and so uh, Sophie initially auditioned for Haley. oh wow and we'd already I, I, I knew Zoe was Haley. like Zoe's audition came in for Haley, and I was like oh my god they're incredible to the point where even though they're a side character I said to my producer I'm like if Zoe's not betraying this character i like i don't want to start production until they're free like i was that obsessed with their audition so like i was so set on Haley, and then sophie read for mia and then the whole like everything was solved we were, we were like casting on and off for two years because of covid and like we went through so many auditions and like um the people that were financing the film were really pushing for a name and then we found mia's audition our uh, sophie's audition and it just blew us all away and to the point where we had to, we had to lose a million dollars out of the budget by casting uh, Sophie and uh, we had reinvested all our fees into it our producer reinvested all our fees like we had to do whatever we could to make sure Sophie got cast because wow. she was perfect for the role and like I knew it straight away as soon as we saw her like uh, like play Mia it was it was the most incredible incredible audition tape ever the best yeah best audition every day on set you see it every moment in the edit you know there's no bad frames you never had to cut around Sophie you know Sophie's just unbelievable the way she takes direction the way she conveys emotion the way she just sung into that character so you know and she had such heavy it was a it was a quick shoot and like every day she was like you know had to go through like you know it was like a lot of heavy scenes oh yeah and she nailed it every single time like it just blew us away constantly and and so so committed to the fact that yeah I was even there was days where I was like, uh, "Can you not sleep today before you come to set tomorrow, so that you can be in a bit of a fractured headspace?" And yeah. she would do that. She would come to set not having slept, and she was so committed to the role. There's like one scene where she was like meant to be like sort of attacking herself, and she started like she did it for real, and it was so intense. But she's so so special and so committed, like I, it, incredible. And then uh, Joe was Joe's funny because Joe initially auditioned two years earlier. Oh, interesting. When he was twelve, right? And then he auditioned again when he was 14. And it was like two different kids, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, a big difference. A teenager, those ages. Yeah. So when he auditioned, like, he auditioned before, like, really? Because he's awesome, but we didn't see him. Like, yeah, it was this audition. And it's like, 
just a little kid. Yeah. You know? Completely yeah. different. And there were so many uh, like auditions that really could like play that the the dramatic side of uh, the character. But then obviously, you know, no spoilers, but there's another side that he has to portray. And like all the other kids would sort of crumble there. I mean, there was like one other one that was really good as well. But Joe was so last minute and fit it so well that we had to move things around and get him. And he was like, he was just, he, he sat down and did a possession scene right in front of us with like no preparation. And he just did it and switched it on. And we're like, all right, fuck yeah, dude, you're cast. Oh my God. Was there something in particular that you could put your finger on when watching Sophie's audition tape that uh, there was, was, what was there that made you excited to exploit or, uh, or explore with her that you were like, oh my God, this is the person. Because there's something you could put your finger on. That's like when an actor taps into the the beats that aren't on the page mm. and and they and she understood the script somehow on a level that wasn't on the on the page so like there was like I this is how I'm picturing it and when she did her audition it was like what the fuck she did it without any direction and then also it was the the, the differing emotions she did because we gave her three scenes to read and there was like one really scared one one like fun one and one emotional one and she just like pulled it out of the bag each time and like it was like holy shit and it just like every all the characters like just about uh, uh, probably apart from one or two as soon as we saw the first audition like we knew straight away like that is 100% them and so yeah, yeah and Sophie's like it didn't feel like acting either it didn't say like you know feel like oh that was a great acting audition yeah she just felt like it was her you know and that was that was the thing it was like she felt like it, like she was that character you know it's the same with Alex who plays Jade so different in real life yeah you know and then you so talk different. to her it's like it's not that character at all but then when she's playing that character it's like whoa it's completely different person. that's how good she is and talented yeah she is. and then it was also like that that rehearsal process and like talking with the actors and like like talking through all of their beats and then like um discussing their lines and their dialogue and making sure that everything they say is authentic to what they would say and like casting people that were that character as close as possible so that they weren't having to perform too much. Sure. No, but then it's yeah. Alex that was Jay that was. Yeah, no, yeah, except for that. But like, yeah, like they were just like, if words didn't fit right, feel right in their mouth, it was just about like, okay, what would you, how would you say that? Or how would you tackle this scene? So it was like being open and collaborative with the actors and not being like, this is how it is. Don't touch it. Don't change it. Say these fucking lines. <laughs> <laughs> and then how, did, how the hell did you get Miranda involved? It was so, that was a really. Uh, we were so blown away that she said yes because there was no like big stars in the film and thank god that we had her because like you know the finance is like we need someone and so like <laughs> Miranda we sent it to her not expecting anything and she just emailed back she's like alright yeah 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 <laughs> wow yeah yeah we, and, we had a, like you know on set it was like it was intimidating because it's like like who are we to give you a Miranda sure, direction, order direction yeah, you know yeah. and but she was so she, yeah she was like talking to an auntie or something she was so warm and open and wanting to collaborate like she's like yeah let, let, let's talk about it like um, she was yeah yeah she was amazing literally an auntie like I felt so relieved when I met her in person and we started talking about the scenes and the character and stuff and I was like oh it's easy to talk to her whereas the idea of like an actual actor just because I'd never really directed any actors before uh, was yeah the idea of it is so intimidating and still is like in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking on that note, I mean, as a dueling, uh, dual directors, what was the mechanics of that in dealing with the different actors and also managing the fact that you've got a production uh, company uh, kind of helping out and, and are they putting in their input? Is that a lot of pressure? Did you feel any of that while you were doing this? Well, yeah, it's getting people that you trust. Yeah. Like even with like producer notes and stuff, we trust Sam so much that when she gives notes, you know, for whatever, mm-hmm. you listen to them because she is... She's so, uh, yeah, so 
talented in different aspects of filmmaking and understands cinema so well and, and is so well versed and experienced that you just gotta you know you you listen to what she says and um the characters uh like like they they bring such a, a life to it that you just don't have on the page and like seeing it in in person is like was just the greatest thing ever it feels like and it, it never felt like that that we were disconnected from the material at all mm. everyone seemed like you know there for the same purpose yeah and, and uh so like usually like i would be the main voice of direction then michael would like talk to me to talk to actors so that this it feels like one united voice sure we yeah. have the same overall vision yeah like, but i didn't want to say something that contradicts <laughs> contradicts danny <laughs> which yeah. sometimes happens sometimes but, yeah. maybe i did that <laughs> <laughs> well at least you're hearing it from one person right so it makes sense now this film has got a lot of interesting and unique camera shots going on there's one of the most unique ones that i've ever seen tilting out and, and through a dream sequence uh, how did you design that overall emotional arc of the camera that is something that we haven't seen before yeah we wanted the the camera like during the possession scenes to feel different and more floaty and might be more I feel like it's a, uh, what is it called when you're like astral projection? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, a little bit astral projection-y. Like, I, know, I know that was something that we really tried to accomplish with those possessions. I like have the, uh, the camera be tied to the spirit that's inside the room. And like they're sort of controlling the frame mm. a little bit. So like I know we definitely want to try and accomplish that. Uh, and also point of view, like you, we see the spirits from Mia's point of view. Mia's yeah. point of view, but not anyone else's. So it's Mia's story. It's Mia's point of view. So other possessions, it's not... You don't see every ghost from everyone's point of view. It was all just tied back to, to Mir and, and that character. Um, and like, it was a lot of days like shot listing with uh, McCliskey, figuring out the visual language. And then like he was, he's so talented that he can make anything look amazing. If you close up, he'll just make it look, that was never a war either. He'll just make it look amazing. But then so working with him and actually come, like structuring out the film and what it's going to look like and feel like. And, and then also finding people that, yeah, you're so comfortable with. So like, if there's a shot we don't like, I'm, a, I'm allowed to take the piss out of it on set. You know, like, <laughs> like shit, Aaron. Oh, yeah. you're, not, you're your best work today. your best work, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. It's nice and boring. I like this one. Like, I'm but, like you know it. what? And he was good at like doing it if we, we had time and like take slow, uh, be slow. But then he was also good when we had to run and gun, you know, like say the montage. Sequence. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's times where we, we need to wrap out of a location and we need to go, 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 go. And he he will, he keeps up, which is awesome. Yeah, we have certain like ways of working that are, like I think different. Like even with the editing of the film, like we'd shoot all day, go home, edit all night, come back and shoot all day, and we oh like. Oh my god! There was a couple sure. of three days, like no sleep for three days. Like if we had to wrap out of a location, say the first possession, we were only in there for two days. It's like on set all day. Take the rushes home, edit them all night, and then go back to set. Yeah, mostly, like, if we can't leave it. having missed anything and making sure those sequences made sense. And then, like, even our editor was so collaborative and awesome that when we came into the edit suite, it's like I had a version of the film, Mark had a version, and the editor had a version. And it was like I felt bad for him because <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. he's like, "Let's watch my cut and like give like broad notes." And he was talking about the way it works. Like, usually the the director will give like broad stroke notes of like this thing we're trying to hear. Can we shorten this? Uh, when we were like in the edit suite the whole time, you know, like yeah, well, really we had the whole, I had an edit of the whole, like basically the whole film. Oh so did God. Danny, and then he did as well. So it was like going through them, and um, and that also opened to learning. Like he taught us a lot, and like he brought so much to the thing. Where I was like, even though I shot it this way and I edited it in my head and I edited it on set, I cannot believe he brought this to the table. And we learned so many things about pacing. Where it's like even cutting down a scene from 
30 minutes ago affects the entire film. And yeah. like we would go th- through the film and watch it over and over. So like we learned so much from him and he was a- amazing. Yeah, and, Jeff and, Lamb. And, yeah. And shout also, out Jeff. Yeah. Shout out Jeff Lamb. And also like uh, he'd uh, uh, do cuts, you know, he'd present us cuts with ways that we hadn't thought of or wouldn't think of. We have our way of editing, you know, and I guess it's like a style. He'd show us a different way you could approach it, which is amazing. Oh, that's interesting. And, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, wow. I, I never would have. I never would have edited that way, you yeah, know. Like you design did. the scenes and you like shoot it, you edit it, and then like he presents it. He's like, "Oh shit, fuck, oh damn." <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, what ended up happening is tremendous, you guys. And then, then ever since it started playing on festivals and people started to see it, when did you catch wind of this this buzz that it really started generating? Eventually, you know, uh, ending up with that partnership with A twenty four. What what were you hearing? What did it feel like? It was when we took the, we had like a promo reel. We hadn't finished the movie yet. We just had like a, a three minute trailer that we took to the Cannes film market. And then uh, they're like, oh, don't expect anything. It's just a trailer. We might sell one or two territories. And then off of that like session, like taking it to Cannes film market, they pre-sold pretty much the entire world off of the trailer, <sighs> except for the US. So like, they're like, let's hold off and see if we can get into a festival. Cause like, fuck guys, like Sam said, she's like, never experienced that in her career. Like the entire world got pre-sold off of no, the- well, like probably 80, 80% or something like yeah. that. Just about, I think there was three or four territories that we picked up later, but like, yeah, pretty much the entire world got it sold. It is well, as well, yeah. yeah. But it was like, there was a feeling that the movie was good. There was people that were interested, say, in the script, but they didn't think we would have had the ability to pull it off. Got it. Because we're YouTubers or whatever, you know. So then people saw the trailer and they go, oh, okay, maybe this has something <laughs> that, that from that promo. And then once we didn't never expected to get into Sundance. Like, we never thought that would be possible. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, always the joke on set, and especially in the edit, was always joking about, like, oh, it's very Sundance. Oh, that's not very A24 review, that cut. Like, we would always, like, joke about yeah, that. Yeah, we make set. A24 edit jokes oh, and funny. Sundance jokes. Like, that's not very A24. <laughs> <laughs> Be lingering on that shot like that, you know? Come on, you don't have to spell it out to the audience here. What are we making here? What are we making here? Generic shit. You know? Um, so, the, when we got accepted into Sundance, it was like, oh my. Like, all of it. Feels like a dream that we yeah haven't woken up from yet. It was like oh, we're knocking at this door be. for so long to you know entering the film uh, industry and stuff to have it just blown open and then have every opportunity you know you want right it was overwhelming you know oh my god well we're gonna as we close down we're gonna wrap this i know we've had you forever we could have you probably do a multi-day episode with you guys um okay on your social media we've seen meetings with sam raimi we've seen jordan peele all these incredible things happening what what does the future look like for you guys that you can things you can talk about anyway uh, new projects that are on the horizon new opportunities that are coming out yeah well i do have we do have a finished script for another horror film and I'd love to shoot that ASAP, but we'll see like that. That's like, and we're, yeah, we're working on a whole bunch of different stuff. Like we're not allowed to really talk about those, sure, but yeah, I, I can just say I have a, a finished horror script that I really want to make ASAP. And we've got stuff from different genres and, you know, but this horror you, one's next. Yeah. 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 The, like <laughs> to say, you know, with the YouTube stuff, we did a lot of the short form, but this is, we've had ideas, you know, from 30 years of, being alive that yeah. are like film ideas and now if we have a chance to make them that'd be amazing so we're ready to go sign us up Let's hell yeah is there any is there any truth to the room about the street fighter movie that's gonna be that you guys are working on too oh yeah just uh we're developing uh yeah we're like we're part of development and we're signed on to direct and if we can like all land on a script that we love uh then uh and we feel yeah. like yeah like uh which they've been great so far but it's like if we feel like 
we will be trusted creatively with it. Which oh, they have so far. That's they've been amazing been. so far. But yeah, we'll, we'll see when the script comes in. Like yeah, that. We, we we can't wait to. We wanted. We'd love to do something like that and try and give justice to a franchise that hasn't to film wise yet. Sure. You know, and we've been looking into you know a lot of things of Street Fighter. Like, what inspires Street Fighter? What inspired the characters? Where does it come oh, from? And looking way beneath. Michael, Michael tracked down one of the guys that one of the characters is based on. So he went to Thailand and found. Yeah. So there's a fighter <laughs> named Sagat that's based on. A a real guy called Sagat in Thailand that was a Muay Thai fighter and I went to Thailand because I heard rumors about him he's still alive and trains people and I went to Muay Thai dreams all around Thailand trying to find him and I tracked him down <laughs> oh <laughs> my god yeah that's why I've been I've been speaking to him and I was training with him a little bit and um you know, I, I wanna, I'd love to put a cameo of him in the film. Like, I, I really want to nod to the things that Street Fighter's nodding yeah, to. Yeah, go deep. You know? oh, yeah, would, deep, deep. Would you guys ever do an Evil Dead movie? Oh, my God. I, That'd I, be I, perfect. It's so scary because I, I love that those films so much. And I love Sam Raimi so much. I think I'd be too intimidated, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah. yeah. For me, all the Raka Raka stuff looks Very like Evil Dead. Dead. It feels like Evil Dead. Yeah. I'd yeah. love to see that. Speak oh of my surreal. God. Sam Raimi's the fuck. He's the best person ever. He is so and, cool. Uh, on top of just Evil Dead, the thing I was the biggest fan of that inspired like uh, like uh, a lot of stuff in Raka Raka, even from the facials and some of the sound design, was Xena Warrior Princess. Oh <laughs> yeah, wow, that's nice. I nice. love that show to death. It's man. a great yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, guys, we're gonna wrap it up here. Thank you so much for being here. It is so amazing yeah. to meet you guys. We're so excited about this movie and that everybody's gonna get a chance to see it. Don't miss Talk to Me, July twenty eighth. Go see it. It's gonna be amazing. You're gonna go on the ride of your life. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us, guys. And that was your Blue Crew Podcast, episode 394. Special thanks to our guests, Danny and Michael Philippou, to A24, and to you for being a part of it. At time of release, see Talk To Me in theaters everywhere July 28th. And if you're listening to this like three years from now, rewatch it on streaming or that special edition Blu-ray or whatever might be available then. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman5000. Till next time, on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, it is the Blue Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.